hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brendan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 85, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing pretty well, Brendan. How are you doing? I wish my life was as interesting as yours, Ian Chicken Man Gibbs. <laughs> I don't know. I could have avoided some of this excitement I've been having with chickens lately. <laughs> Of course, this episode, we're going to be telling some great listener ghost stories. But before we do, I, I desperately have to know, tell me the story of the great chicken escape. Yeah. So I really wanted them to have a bigger place to wander. And I was racking my brain trying to figure out how to make that work because I'm not very handy. And then I happened to look out on the back deck and we have one of those big sunshade things with the mosquito netting around the sides. Do you sure, remember those? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So... We have neither roof nor mosquito netting on it. It's just a frame and it's been there for three years. And anyway, I thought, aha. So then I looked for a cheap way to cover that up. Oh, look, deer netting. Perfect. So I got the neighbors over to help me move it over the coop. And I wanted to put it in the least noticeable place possible, just so, you know, it was out of the way and we could still see it from the house and, you know, all those good things. So I put it right behind our deck which sounds good in theory, but I live on top of a very, very, very high hill. And at the back of my house, actually about 10 feet from the deck, it plummets straight down to a bike trail, probably yeah. about a couple hundred feet. Easily. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's a great place to die. If it, you've got a couple and of you would. You. And you would. Anyway, I thought, well, this will do it. So I wrapped the frame in deer netting. And was feeling very proud of myself. When I had to go over on that side to put the deer netting in place, it was touch and go. Um, I stepped in one spot and there was no earth there, just a bunch of old leaves. And I grabbed kind of the fence post and that's literally what stopped me from plummeting down the hill. Oh, so you almost died. This is the first time I'm hearing this, folks. You're learning oh, this at oh, the yeah, same time sorry. as me. I forgot about that. I almost died. But I'm going to start so- looking for replacement co-hosts now, just in case. <laughs> but I was so excited about um, getting this done for the hens. So anyway, my mother-in-law was helping me because she gets up earlier than I do, and she was letting the chickens out of the coop and into the run when I get this frantic knock at the door. Oh my God, a chicken got out. I need your help. Um, And sure enough, what they'd done was, uh, because it's not on even ground where it is, they had found a way under it and were now wandering. And she tried to go back there and she slipped and she couldn't get back up because of the soft ground. So she did in the end make it back up um, and everything was fine. But we sort of agreed as a household that perhaps I should just put it on the flat lawn where it was suggested I put it in the first place. So that will be happening this weekend. And that's a story of how chickens almost killed Ian. Almost murdered me. The chi- and they're not even like three months old and they're murdered. Better look next time, chickens. Yeah, right? <laughs> you won't take our eggs, you bastard. That's yeah. right. So, yeah. Man, so- that, uh, that, that uh, unionizing literature I sent them really was taken to heart. <laughs> yes, thanks for that. 
No. So there you go. So that's how Ian and the hens almost parted ways through my untimely death. But it's all good. Good times. Good times. Well, speaking of untimely deaths and things so related, yes. we have another great set of listener stories, most of which are from February-ish. Wow, we're moving up. We are moving up, although there was one that just arrived, yes. and I thought it would be the perfect one to go out on. It uh, is a good one. It is a it good is. one. Yeah, And it came with some visual aids, which aren't going to be much good in this moment, but uh, <laughs> we will find a way to share that with the audience as well. So, coming up after the break... Listener stories. Welcome back. As we said before the break, on this episode, we're telling more listener stories. That is our 21st volume of listener stories wow i know right it, it's crazy it really is and they keep coming in and we love it every time we do a listener story show we hear from more people and if you want to send us your story ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is really the best way to get it to us yeah for sure although there is of course the ghost line as well and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later before we get going though i thought it'd be interesting to talk about some of the feedback we got on the previous episode mm-hmm. and if you are new to the show and welcome for one thing you won't know this but on the last show we talked about some stories which had found their way to ian about a place called topaz park here in victoria yeah and i believe until just until recently there's been a, a homeless encampment there um in here. a different part of the park yeah in the higher part yeah right 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 and uh, you know we, if you want to hear the full story of course if you listen to the previous episode but we told that story and we had a number of people comment on our Instagram, send us messages via email that they'd also had unpleasant feelings and experiences at Topaz and they thought they were the only ones. Well, and it was interesting because one of our listeners wrote in and said that she lives very close to Topaz Park, but she goes somewhere else to walk her dog. And she said that she and her ex-boyfriend used to take their dogs um, for walks in different places, went to Topaz once. And even though it's almost next door to them, they never went back. And yep. she said, you know, I'm attracted to weird places, but I didn't have a bad experience there. I just had no experience there. It was like, it just left my mind. And she said, I drive past it 10 times a week. But when you guys talked about it, I had to Google it because I couldn't remember where it was. And I was like, oh, yeah, wow, of course. And I, I was like, yeah, I get that because it is on the main, one of the main routes in Victoria. Um, and I, it's the same thing. It's like, it's a great big blank spot for me. And, and for me as well, and, and I think I mentioned that on the last show, you know, usually I'm drawn to places where these kinds of things are happening. Yeah. And for some reason, Topaz is just like a, a giant empty spot. And so I, weird. I even drove past it again the other day. I was, uh, of course, I do delivery. I was in that area, went past it and almost, I almost forgot to look completely. Yeah. Isn't it weird? It's, it's just like, it's not there. Yeah. So I get it. Who knows? Um, another piece of interesting listener mail we got that I thought we'd touch on because this is something that's come up a few times has to do with episode 80. May the dead rise up to meet you, which was mm. of course the haunting of Ireland episode. Mm -hmm. And was you and I know we've talked about that was an episode which mentioned uh, the good folk. And which you promised you would never do again. And then you did. So quite frankly, you deserve it. Well, I wasn't the only one who suffered there, but okay. <laughs> and we're not doing that ever again. No. 
In fact, I know someone sent us a listener story which involves them. And uh, while I very pre- much appreciate your story, we are probably not going to be reading it on air. <laughs> nope. Um, however, we had a number of technical problems recording that episode that we've never had before. Or since. And, or since. Yeah. And then we also heard from people, they had some issues downloading the show or playing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it would down, it would download and not play or it wouldn't download. And I kind of thought that it was the end of it. But then we received another message from a listener. And I just wanted to share it here because it's so strange. And the fact that it happened to be that episode, I thought it was, it was worth sharing. And uh, this goes from Coriel. And they said, I recently discovered your podcast. I've been listening to the most recent episodes. You referenced having trouble with episode 80. I thought you might find it interesting that I also had trouble with this episode. I downloaded the episode three times before I was finally able to listen to it. It just disappeared the previous two times I downloaded it. I haven't had this happen with any other episodes. Strange, right? And, and I mean, it could just be a problem with my audio mastering. Who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that would make it evanesce off your hard drive. I don't think I'm quite that skilled at being uh, bad no, at my job. No. But yes, so that is interesting. And again, I just have to assume it has something to do with the subject matter, which... To repeat, we will not be covering again. We will not. On the show, no. Although, I mean, someone gave us a great tip in our email for addressing that subject and hence how I refer to them. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, all the same, yes. We are a superstitious show. We are a consciously skeptical and yet superstitious, superstitious show. show. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that's the healthiest place to be. I think so. Mm-hmm. All right. On to the stories. Our first story comes to us from Shadrach. The first time something happened to me, I was about nine or ten years old. I woke up one winter night because I thought I heard something outside my window. When I looked, I saw a big wooden crate. I didn't think anything of it, and I went back to sleep. The next morning, I told my sister about it, and we went out to the spot together. The crate was gone, but in its place was the outline of a square in the snow. We saw footprints leading away, which then stopped at the edge of the woods. We lived a few miles back into the woods at this time. About a year and a half later in the summer, I was alone in my room during the day, watching a movie and eating a snack when I heard a noise come from my closet. I expected to find a mouse or something like that, but instead found the attic door wide open. I got my mom, and when she looked at it, the door was closed again, and so she said it must have been the wind. After she left, I looked at the attic door, and it was cracked open. I closed my closet door and put a Bible down in front of it. A few years later, we were living in my grandparents' house while they were in their trailer in the side yard. This house was old and a little creepy. One night before going to bed, I went to the kitchen and got some water. After putting the cup in the sink, I noticed something move out of the corner of my eye, and when I looked, I saw it standing right behind me in the mirror. It was the most terrifying thing ever. It reminded me of the scary girl at the end of the maze game, but infinitely more scary. Okay, now last one. I'm currently living in this house now. Me and my family were getting ready to go on vacation, and I was alone in my room packing. I was 18 and minding my own business packing a bag when I saw something move out of the corner of my eye. I looked up, and I saw a blue stress ball bouncing out of my room slowly, then watched as it slowly rolled back into my room. The ball had been in the corner of my room, 
behind some blankets. For some reason, the rolling back in is what yeah. bothers me the most. Yeah, I, it's it's easy to kind of do the rolling out. It got bumped or gravity let it go or something, sure. but rolling back in, hmm, no. Yeah, like Satan's fucking yo-yo. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just I, think of like a, like a kid rolling it back in. Or, or that, yeah, that's probably yeah. more realistic. Yeah. It's like less dramatic. <laughs> now, th- thank you for that story, Shadrach. And you said when this came in that uh, he mentioned something about his name. Yeah, that's right. Like we wouldn't be able to pronounce it. Right. And, and I laughed. I'm like, oh, buddy, I didn't do four years of Bible school, so I wouldn't know how to pronounce that name. It's kind of funny that the devil knows all of God's words. <laughs> that's you in this uh, scenario. Buddy. Yeah, I know. I got it. Okay, Thank then, you. Smarty Pants, what are the other names that go with Shadrach? Meshach. Uh-huh. And Horshack from Welcome Back, Connor. No, no, no. I don't a, know what the last one was. Abednego. Abednego. Yeah. There we go. And, and, why, and why were they famous? They uh, had a mm-hmm. barbershop quartet. No, no, no. Tell me. They were placed into a fiery furnace by a king because they would not worship the king, but they did not burn. And in fact, when the king looked in the furnace, he saw four men in there, not three, because uh, it was a barbershop quartet. An angel had come to protect them. I knew it. I was right, technically. Not even close. This story comes from Bree. I have two stories to add to your research. The first one is from when I was 16. Everyone in the house woke up early during the week for work, and so it was normal for me to wake up in the morning to an empty house. I was responsible for getting myself up and to school on time. This particular morning, I must have forgotten to set my alarm and woke up late. When I saw the time, I shot out of bed and went down the hallway to the bathroom to brush my teeth. While I was getting ready, I heard a woman's voice say, You're going to be late. She sounded close, like she was standing right next to me, and she said it in kind of a sing-songy way. I froze. I was alone in the house, but still peeked out in the hallway to see if my sister was there. Of course, she was not. I resumed brushing my teeth, and as soon as I told myself I didn't hear that, the stereo in my father's room turned on at full volume to radio static. I jumped out of my skin and totally freaked out now. I went to my dad's room and stood in the doorway looking around and afraid to enter, but again, saw nothing and told myself the stereo must have an alarm setting. I worked up the courage to check, and you can probably guess by now that there was no alarm setting on that stereo. I looked out the window and confirmed again that no one's car was in the driveway, and no one but me was home. I promptly finished getting ready and left the house. It was the only incident I had in that house, but the woman's voice is still clear in my head. I know I heard it, and even if someone wants to explain it away and say I must have still been tired and confused, there was still the stereo turning on on its own. The stereo had never glitched like this before or after. It is unexplainable to me and is the experience that forced me to accept that perhaps there is something else out here with us. And thank you for sharing that with us, Bree. And I I agree. I don't necessarily know what it is, but there is absolutely something out here sharing sharing the space with us. Oh, yeah. And I, funny enough, the the stereo thing reminded me of something, and I, I've probably mentioned this on the show before. I, I figure at this point, every one of my friggin' stories I've told on the show before. <laughs> the downside to doing 85 episodes of a podcast. Right. You, you meet someone and you go to tell them a story and they'll say, oh yeah, no, you told that one on the show. Oh, I know. I've had that happen to me. I, there's nothing like being cock-blocked by your own podcast. <laughs> 
hoisted by my own petard. Or not hoisted, exactly. as, as the case may be. Uh, but um, a friend of mine lived in Newfoundland in an area called The Base. And I, I don't think it was actually a base. I think it was a housing development. But it was in um, – Oh, the name escapes me. A small town in Newfoundland. Right. But uh, they their stereo would do this off mm. and on. And when they moved, it stopped. Oh, interesting. But the stereo would just turn on to static, to full blast. And I believe, I also have a story in my book, A Strange Little Place, available everywhere fine books are sold. <sighs> <laughs> Let me have this. This print run's almost gone. I don't know. The last bunch of emails I had were all like, I bought Brennan's book and I loved it. So I've been responding to them with, you bought the wrong book. (laughs) And you can buy signed copies at ghostoryguys.bigcartel.com. But no, the other person, they had a, a, I guess this would have been a a boom box. It was that old, but it would do the same thing. It was uh, for you kids. A boom box is a mobile stereo. (laughs) For you kids. That's great. And uh, so yeah, old, older every day. Yeah. After recently seeing the doctor, even older still. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so they had this this stereo or boombox or whatever it was, and the damn thing would also turn itself on to static. Oh my and god! They took it to the repair shop. The repair shop couldn't find anything wrong with it. That's cute. Remember repair shops? I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's. This mom, is mom, where's where's the TV? Oh, I took it to the repair shop. You mean the dumpster? Yeah, right. The nostalgia, guys. All right. Yeah, really, right? Oh, my God. When did this the, happen? It's a reflective old episode. Of the re- guys, <laughs> Our next story is from Dusk. I just finished listening to episode 76, This Present Darkness, and it gave me an extra push to go ahead and submit a story for you. I haven't had too many ghost experiences happen in my life, but I've been known to have very strong intuition, and it's helped me greatly through my life. Over the course of this past year, I finally moved out of a very toxic living environment. I moved to Los Angeles for school and was rooming with someone that I used to know a few years back. Now, before I continue, this person and I used to have a much better relationship. However, after having many years apart and then meeting again later in life, I came to learn I changed for the better and they had changed for much, much worse. They are an extremely toxic person to be around manipulative, constantly gaslighting, and going out of their way to constantly destroy everything you have in your life, just to make themselves feel slightly better about themselves. They're the kind of person that slightly brings you up and then completely tears you down and tries to convince you that they are all you have. They'll drag you into their problems and then abandon you to clean up their mess. Now that you have some context on how this person works, I'm going to move into the events that followed after my decision to move out. We had a bit of a heated argument one night because they said I couldn't afford to move out and it was better that way. I told them off, but the energy of the house after that became more and more negative. I could quite literally feel their malice inflicting me whenever I was at the apartment. And there were days when it was hard to even walk through that front door. I was depressed and always feeling drained and I couldn't stand to be there. I started having bad dreams with this person in them. And even now, after moving out, if they're in a dream I'm having, I'll experience an uncontrollable rage and do awful things during that dream. There was one particular night, though, that I'll probably never forget because the experience was so vivid and felt like a message that I had to leave, that it was now or never. One night during my final week at the apartment, I was laying in bed facing my window and reaching that just bygone point of falling asleep. Suddenly, I felt what was like a presence directly above me. 
I immediately felt uncomfortable. And as I opened my eyes and turned my head to the right facing upwards, I saw a figure, an all-black silhouette. In episode 76 in one of the stories, the person talks about a really negative guy being present in their life and having an experience of seeing a shadow person or doppelganger enter their room at night. It was just like this. Though there were no features to this figure, I immediately put together that it was my roommate, that it was their silhouette. The figure was right on top of me and had its hands pressing down into me and a message came through, one like, you're not leaving me. There weren't any words being spoken, but it was that sense of being pushed down and feeling trapped that those words came to my mind. I immediately panicked and had a heightened sense of fight or flight as some people refer to it. Then suddenly it was like I was waking up from a dream within a dream. My eyes shot open for a second time and I was in the exact same position. Same time of evening, same lighting, but the figure was gone. And luckily, that sense of panic was slowly going with it. Now, people could easily say this was just a really intense nightmare that I had from being under so much stress, and that is totally viable. But if so, this had to have been one of the absolute realest dream experiences I've ever had. I have yet to ever tell anyone that story, but I'm glad I've gotten it off my chest. My personal belief is that people can project themselves emotionally, especially with negative emotion. I really do believe that that was them projecting their malice onto me that night. This cruel sense of desperation and not wanting to let me go, whether they meant to or not. I'm glad it's over between us, and I never want to see that figure fight over me again. So thank you for sharing that with us, Dusk, and and, and for trusting us with that, because uh, that's a pretty intense story, and that sounds like a, a, a very trying time in your life. Yeah, no kidding. Personal stuff or ghost stuff first? <laughs> what do you want to do? Well, to, okay, ghost stuff. Okay. So the the, the the spirit thing, the, the person looming over you, reminds me of reading these books by early 20th century spiritualists because they talk about um, engaging in, in sort of psychic warfare yeah. outside of your body. You know, they, they truly believe that you have this second body that could be sent to do things. Right. And so it it's, I mean, by that logic, it's very possible that someone could perhaps unintentionally project themselves. You know, if they had enough, if they were holding on to, to, to dusk, to, to them so tight that the idea of them leaving, because obviously as, as you and I know, because we've both dealt with what sounds like toxic narcissists, mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they have that thing where they, they, they use you and they treat you like trash, but they also kind of need you. Yeah. Because you're the fuel. Yeah. And so I, I can imagine, you know, under those circumstances, that person being under the duress of losing their, I don't want to say the word victim, but sort of their, 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 well, their foil, fuel source, right? Their, their fuel, fuel source, source. Yeah. yeah. That, uh, you know, they would, they could project in that way. It's just goddamn awful. I, I will say though, good, good for you for getting out because that, that is a difficult thing to do. It takes a lot of energy to be able to pull free from that. Yeah. Yeah. And and to recognize that just because you were friends with someone doesn't mean that you, A, should continue to be friends with them, or B, it's even healthy to do that. And it's interesting you say that because when I was a youth worker um, and worked with groups of young people, the biggest toxic thing I would see, it's mostly girls who believed they were being a good person by remaining friends with someone even though that person was horrible. And, and I would ask him about that. I'm like, I don't understand why you're friends with her. You know, if she treats you this way. And the answer I would get back was, oh, well, we've been friends since grade one. Right. Yeah. That's not a good enough reason. 
Yeah, no kidding. With guys, it was more like, oh, he's a jerk. And they would just walk away. But with girls, there was this weird, almost programmed thing where they had been taught that a good friend, you know, stays a good friend no matter what. And what's heartbreaking about that is that that kind of social programming when you're older Mm -hmm. translates into staying in extraordinarily toxic situations. Yes. Despite the fact you should get out immediately. Exactly. And that applies across gender lines because I was always kind of socialized that, you know, no matter what, you know, you, you're supposed to be nice and you're supposed to be friends. And, right. And consequently, that led to me, as you know, you, yes. know, you and I have talked yeah. about this, staying in friendships that no longer not only did not benefit me, but were actively toxic. Yeah. And, you know, it really came to a point where I, I actually took some action on this. I had a youth leader who was a helper of mine. And she came to help me one Friday night and her arm was broken and she was early twenties and stunningly pretty. She was so pretty. And, um, I said to her, Oh my God, you know, what happened? And she goes, Oh, well, you know, I kind of got in a fight with my boyfriend and he pushed me down the stairs and I looked at her and she could see the look on my face and she goes, no, it's okay. I totally deserved it. I got him really mad. Oh my God. Yeah. And I just stopped. And I, I put my hand on her hand and I said, no, no, that's not how this works. And that night we had a very long conversation and she did end up moving home and away from this person right. and she got some counseling. And then the next boyfriend she had was just the nicest guy who thought she was a magical princess and they ended up getting <laughs> married and happily ever after as far as I know. But that shocked me that that was oh, yeah. an actual thing. And so that's when I started to do, I, I ran a whole program on healthy relationships. Um, oh, okay. And it was what, as a, as a young man, the way you should behave in a relationship and as a young woman, the way you should behave in a relationship, nothing, you know, about sex really, or about religion. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, sex was in there, but it, but it was more about um, respect and how do we express respect? Not to get too deep into it here, into to personal things, because we did enough of that on the, was the last show. show oh, last Lordy, time. more like ghost story therapy. Right. But uh, I was with someone, my, my very first partner, actually, um, mm. you know, and they had been with very dysfunctional people before me. Right. And because, I mean, I was fucked up, not in the same way. Yeah. Uh, they would then try and recreate, like, force those scenarios. Of course. Because those are the patterns they were used to. And this constantly, is what I we know. Up, this is what I we ended know. up yeah. in a really uh, emotionally abusive relationship for almost two years. Yeah. Because I, it was, you know, it was kind of like, you're, you're, you're not going to get anything better. No, no. And well, you must be doing something to deserve it. Right. Right. You know, yeah. like, like the, the, being miserable is what you're used to. Is, and it's what you deserve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyways, to bring it all back home, good for you, <laughs> Dusk, for getting the hell out of there. Yes. And thank you for sharing with us. And and honestly, if anybody else is up there listening to this thinking, oh, maybe that's me, look into it. Look oh, into yeah. it. And yeah. you do, believe it or not, you do have the strength to walk away, whether it's a relationship or a friendship or, you know, maybe you have a toxic relative. You do have the right to say, I'm not going to be a player in this play anymore. This is not my thing. Um, oh, yeah. And, and never listen to anyone who says that blood is sicker than water. No, bullshit. no, never. Because no. one, that that's a I, this is it's one of my pet peeves is people who don't understand these things. Yeah, the, the, the actual and I don't have to tell you, but the line is 
the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb, which actually means the associations you choose are of more strength and value than the ones which are natural to you. Right. But we've turned it around. Yeah, because we're we're stupid. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But anyways, yeah. I can't say it any better than Ian did. Well, and yeah, I was just going to say, like, as an adopted person who's someone who has been adopted and has met my family of origin and, and of course, grew up with the family that adopted me, you you do get to choose the strength and the closeness of every relationship in your life. And don't forget that. And if you have a relationship that's just pulling your energy away or making you miserable or, God forbid, harming you, um, you do get to say enough. You do get to say that. And I don't I don't know that I hear a lot of people saying that <laughs> like people people seem to think it has to be incredibly extreme for them to say enough. It doesn't. At any point, you can say, enough, I'm done with this. This is no longer my my show, you know? This story comes from Claire. The town of York lies just over an hour east of Perth on the Avon River in Australia. This historic town is small yet stunning. Original houses, shop fronts, and hotels still stand proud on its main street, Avon Terrace, and locals still greet passers-by with a friendly smile. My story takes us back to 1992 in my first school camp. Half our group were excited to leave our parents for the first time, the other half were teary and a little anxious. As with most 10-year-olds, impatience grew strong, and the hour-long trip felt much longer. I couldn't tell you the activities we participated in around the town of York. I could really only vividly recall what happened at our lodgings, the old York Hospital. The hospital is now a heritage-listed two-story building with a second single-story property off to the side. The boys were sent to the second building, and the girls ushered to the second floor of the main building, which consisted of a long, hall-style dormitory lined with a series of bunk beds. Then, at the end of this, a small square room with two entrances, one locked with a deadbolt and no door handle, on the same wall about one and a half meters apart. The room was furnished with four sets of bunk beds, all positioned in the center of each wall, including one between the two doors, all pointing to the center of the room. In hindsight, it was an odd formation, but as an adventurous kid, you don't really pay any attention to interior design. All I remember thinking when I was relegated to this room was that it was unfair I wasn't with the majority of the kids. As we went to sleep, the room was eerily dark, despite being punctured by the soft moonlight coming through one of the windows. Another odd thing was that neither window had coverings. At some point in my restless sleep, I was awakened by the oddest feeling. By this stage, the moon was coming straight through the window, so it must have been after midnight and shining straight to the area of the locked door, almost like a spotlight. The door that during the day and when we went to bed was bolted shut was now open at a 45 degree angle with a hand reaching in. Yeah, a hand reaching in trying to pick something up off a shelf that was clearly not there anymore. I couldn't tell you how long I watched this or at what point I fell back asleep, but when I woke up at the same time as my best friend in the bunk opposite me, the room was bright with a morning light, yet felt heavy. I looked across at the door which was bolted shut again as my friend said to me, so you saw it too. I felt worse for her as she would have been laying on her side staring straight at whatever slash whoever was in there within a few feet of her bed. As our friends in the other bunks woke and we shared our story, we were greeted with mixed responses, though mainly along the theme of, you shouldn't make things like that up. I tell you, I, I just imagine some spectral hand coming through. I would probably, well, I, I may you know, lick it. That might be funny. Oh my God. God. Just to watch the ghost rip it back and hear it go, oh, 
And then, you know, I end up on the human story guys, you know, so sort of spectral version of the podcast from the other side of the veil. <laughs> and then it licked me. I don't believe in humans. I'm very skeptical. <laughs> Thank you so much for that story, Claire. Absolutely. Our next story is from Katie. When I was in elementary school, I was looked after by my grandmother. She always let me know when it was time to get to bed on a school night, and she made me feel better when I was sick or had gotten hurt while riding horses. The funny thing is, she died almost 10 years before I was born. All I knew was some kind, old energy in the form of a lady would come to me at night, even touch my skin sometimes where I was hurting or feeling sick, and I would immediately feel better. When I was 13, I eventually brought it up to my dad. He simply smiled and said, that's your grandma, Catherine. She was a stickler for being to bed on time, and she was a head nurse in the hospital she worked at. It was her job to make people feel better. It's so refreshing to hear a parent who didn't try and fluff it off as imagination. After that, I just got used to it and embraced the paranormal into my life. I could go over a hundred stories, but I'll just fast forward to my adult years. I'm now working in a museum with a degree in archaeology and museum curatorship. I grew up with my dad's love of antiques, dinosaurs, and ancient history, so it's safe to say this is the job I was born for. I remember while I was in a field school during university, I was digging on an island that was known for its indigenous significance, with both housing areas and cemeteries present from almost 2,000 years ago. I had this feeling I was being watched, and to be honest, I wasn't surprised. However, the being felt like a young boy, about five or six years old, and I could feel him watching us digging, curious, but maybe also confused that we were digging where his home might have been. To be honest, sometimes it made me uncomfortable, like maybe he was angry. Let me make this clear. In my studies, we were taught how to be completely respectful with First Nations ancestry and heritage. In fact, my lab was smudged twice a year by local elders, and we kept sage in the lab for just such occasions. I loved the mixture of science and spirituality in one room. Because of my pasty ginger complexion, I ended up finishing my time at the dig in the lab. On the last day of the dig, my friend came to tell me they'd found human remains that day in the field. It was the jawbone of a five-year-old. I definitely got the shivers, but I know the remains were reburied where they were found not to be disturbed again. Since then, I've interned at two museums that both have a ghost named Anne. I can't make this up. It's like I have a type when it comes to career choices. The first was attached to the oil portrait of her that hung in the museum. She was the brains of the outfit, wanting children to be quiet, no running, and things to be just so. I knew she appreciated it when I waited till the very last second to put the lights out over her portrait. When I told her I simply wanted to keep it in good condition, we had an understanding, I think. The second Anne died at the old mill where there is a museum now. It was a tragic story where the new bride walked too close to a turbine shaft with one of those big hoop skirts. I'm sure the rest you can figure out. Anyway, she still hangs out, and we have a panel dedicated to her. The first time I was there touring, I got to her panel and I felt her touch my hair. She was just shy of 20 when she died, and I can feel her playfulness and personality of a young woman. She likes to call people's names, move things on us, and even put items in the middle of the floor that we missed, as if to say, I can't believe you didn't clean this up, here you go. I always figured that someone who died so violently would be sad or maybe even angry to those around her, but I think she's become such a part of our daily lives, she feels like she's loved and accepted. All the students say good morning or good night to her every day. We tell her story, 
and just accept that she has more right to be there than any of us. One funny story I have to include was this summer when an odd gentleman came into the mill. The mill is a free museum where people can come and go with their families and even enjoy watching us grind flour with the 160-year-old equipment. I love it. This young man was wearing costume angel wings and plain clothes. We first saw him through the window doing some sort of Tai Chi on the bridge. We get that here a lot. When he left, he looked like he was holding an invisible hand. He said, I'm taking Anne with me. Say goodbye. When another staff member and I looked confused, he said it louder and angrier. We cautiously said goodbye and he left. I swear to you, the spidey sense I got from Anne when he was on the bridge was her looking out the window from the floor above thinking, what the heck is this guy doing? And when he left, she was probably at the top of the stairs shaking her head at the very idea of leaving with him. I know it seems silly to get these those feelings, but it was like someone turned a radio on in my head. That's exactly what happens to me, that radio being turned on in your head. Oh, really? Where you know things. Right. Um, for me, it's pictures. Like someone shoved a bunch of pictures to the back of my head. But right, with, those, with those pictures, it comes all that knowledge. So I totally relate to what she's saying. I totally get how she knows. And, and it's not silly at all. It's just the way they're able to communicate with us. I don't think it's silly in the slightest. That said, I do think Bridge Tai Chi Man <laughs> He's a little amazing. goofy. He's a little bit goofy. A little bit. Yeah. And and I love too this idea that ghosts are watching us as we because obviously we have no idea what right. waits for us on the other side. No no one has any idea. And anyone who no. tells you they know for sure they're full of shit. Yeah, exactly. And so best we can do is try and put this sort of jigsaw together and interpret as best we can. But there are people who, yeah, they think they have this command over it. And I kind of imagine whatever is waiting over there, just watching us like Anne (laughs) and thinking, what are you even doing? I release (laughs) you. Who who do you release? Who are you talking to? Where's it going exactly? Yeah, Yeah, there's 30 Mm. of us here. Where do you think I'm going? You total knob. Stop doing Tai Chi on the bridge. Go get a job. (laughs) This story comes from Paige. I have a few stories. I'm a nurse and I work in an older small town hospital, but this one is actually about the house I grew up in. My parents had it built so it wasn't creepy or old, but some weird things happened. First off, I had two imaginary friends I would describe in such detail my mom would be freaked out. They were both young girls in Victorian style dresses, one red and one blue. Their hair was braided tightly in pigtails and tied with ribbons. They had knee-high socks and buckled shoes. Their names were Ola and Biga, names she had never heard and had no idea where I got them. She would catch me talking to them all the time, and to this day I swear I could see them. The other thing is, I used to tell her, they never smile. One night I woke up to my mom in my room, on the phone, crying, asking my dad to come home from wherever he was. She woke me up, Paige, we need to get out of the house. I was maybe five, six... She hurried me out of the house and we sat on the front step with my mom clenching a cordless phone until my dad got home to search the house. She never told me why we had to go out there, but whatever it was, she sure was scared. We would have other things happen. Mirrors would smash and crumble from the other room. The front door glass would smash into a million pieces out of nowhere. Doors would be unlocked or opened, the oven turned on. My mom tells this story about how when I was very little, still in a crib but able to walk, She woke up in the middle of the night, and when she checked my room, I wasn't there. 
She said she found me standing in the pitch-dark, unfinished basement. She still has no clue how I got down there alone, without any lights. One time when I was older, I went downstairs to get a snack during the night. I heard a click and looked to find the oven light had been switched on. Then I noticed in the corner of my eye the hanging blinds over the back sliding door were moving. But not a bunch of them like a gust of air had hit them. Just one, swinging back and forth. I looked closely, no air vents around, back door was closed. I'm 31 now, we moved out of that house when I was 9, and I can still see that single panel swinging back and forth pretty aggressively, and not a single other thing moving. Other things happened. I would see a hand reaching to pull back my blankets or something. I say something because it was more a completely black shadow, but with a human figure, standing beside my bed. One time it stood there so long without moving, then all of a sudden raised both its arms up really fast, almost as if it was going to slam a knife down into me. I jolted and screamed so loud my parents came running in. But a lot of the time, whenever I saw something in my room, I couldn't make a peep. It's hard to remember now what exactly I could see. I have bits and pieces of things, but it was either too long ago or my brain has turned it off. I've never actually told anyone these stories and try not to think about them, to be honest. Writing this, I have weird goosebumps and tears in my eyes just remembering these weird events. It would be interesting to find the people who've lived in that house since we moved to see if they have any similar stories. As for Ola and Biga, I can still picture them clear as day. I remember them exactly like you would old friends. So, uh, first off, thank you for the story page. And again, as we said before, thank you for trusting it with us. Uh, mm-hmm. Since you have never told anyone else, we certainly appreciate that. And I don't know if this will be any more comforting to you or not, but I did a little bit of research. And Ola and Biga are Finnish names. or Yeah, Scandinavian I, and names. I thought they were. And, and they were kind of like that was a i don't know what part of the country she's in who page but um they were a big group of people who were who were uh settling the prairies oh of course mm-hmm. of course i didn't even think about that uh, because yeah it says uh when i found that it, it said that uh biga is a finnish name which is uh short for birgitta yes and ola is more commonly a man's name but can also be used for a woman right and um yeah so interesting. That never even occurred to me. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of the Norwegians and the Finnish didn't speak a whole lot of English. And they were very serious people, uh, very clean people, apparently. Uh, but they were also very serious people. So, yeah, that actually fits perfectly. That is fascinating. Yeah. So it's, I'm oh. glad you did a little bit of research on that and found that out. It's what I do. <laughs> and there's precious little else to do right now. <laughs> I have watched 35 movies this month. Oh, good Lord. Yes, I watched 62 last month. Oh, my God. So on your deathbed, you'll be you'll be there with your hand raised towards Nikki because you know you're going to die before her. And, <laughs> and she will say, and you'll say to her, if only I'd watched more movies. That's, that's it. Yeah. And she'll put the pillow over my face. Just sleep, sleep. <laughs> that's right. Just let oh, it happen. You've seen into my future and it is beautiful. <laughs> This story comes from Christina. A number of years ago, I was working on a marina at a local lake and was running an event at night. I had run into the marina office to wrap up some details before going home when I glanced up from my desk to see a woman's face looking through the window. Normally it wouldn't faze me, but I blinked and the face was gone. I opened the office door and peeked out to see if she was nearby, but no one was there. A little creeped out, I went back into the office and worked quickly to head back to the event area when a coworker came in. She saw my face and asked what was wrong. 
I told her what I'd just seen, expecting her to dismiss it, but instead she stared at me and asked what the woman had looked like. I gave a brief description of her face and hair color and started to get a little more creeped out by her reaction. When I had finished, my coworker told me there had been a drowning at the marina the day before I'd arrived, and they hadn't found the woman's body yet. The person who drowned was a woman who looked just like the face I'd seen in the window. I hadn't heard about the events of the day yet as I had come in just in time to sit up and then run the event over in the bar all evening. I still get chills when I think about that night. So thank you for that story, Christina. As if uh, being near the water wasn't bad enough. <laughs> well, and the fact that she got like instant confirmation she'd seen something paranormal is very cool. Oh, absolutely. And again, there's that that sort of thread. You know, we had someone else who had instant confirmation. And I believe it was Katie's story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that is uh, that would not that would be unsettling. We'll call it unsettling. Thank you again for that story, Christina. Our next story is from Anim. Some of these may sound unbelievable, and honestly, I have not experienced anything at all myself, so I am also skeptical of some of them, but I have believed these stories, because the existence of the paranormal is just a normal part of Pakistani culture, and also the Muslim religion in general. We are taught special prayers to recite when we are encountered by something supernatural, as well as other methods of dealing with jinns, etc. Though we believe in these things, we do our best to stay away from them. We are taught to respect these things from afar and never to go looking for anything. I'll start with my legendary story my cousins and I grew up listening to. In the 1960s, my grandfather was a wealthy businessman in Karachi. His extended family, who were not as well off, took note of this, and according to a source that told my grandma, buried evil talismans on their property, cursing and wishing death upon my grandparents and their eight children. That seems harsh. My oldest uncle, who was just a kid at the time, had an accident that caused him to lose some mobility in his leg. My grandfather's business also suffered, and he eventually lost the business. The family fell into poverty for a very long time. Other troubles were also plaguing them. My grandma would walk past my uncle's bedroom, and she would hear a woman speaking to him. But when she opened the door, he would just be asleep, alone, in the room. He began to tell her that a woman would visit him at night and ask him to come to her, which he never did. He would just pray. My aunt would describe speaking to an old man who wandered around the back of the gated backyard and kitchen, and she would leave milk out for him. He was a benevolent spirit and did no harm to anyone. Any job that my grandfather would try to attain, he would be turned away from. It was like they couldn't catch a break. My grandmother tried praying and fasting, advice she received from a wise woman in the neighborhood, to conquer the jinns and entities living in their house. And one night, she had a very scary encounter. She was warned that while she was at the end of her 40-day fast and prayers, the entities would get stronger and show themselves to her and try to scare her. She described seeing wild-looking, half-naked, big-boned people trying to scare her while she was praying. Brennan, what were you doing there? No, just kidding. She was not supposed to break her concentration or leave prayer. Otherwise, she would not be able to conquer these things. She saw them run towards the room where her sleeping children were, and she broke prayer and ran to them. We're not sure if these entities were brought there by the jealous family members, but at least some of them were left there after my great-grandfather passed away. He was in control of these beings, which apparently you can do through prayer, kind of like controlling a genie, but in this case, jinn. He did not release them from his command before he passed, so they had no master and would bother the family. Around that time, someone told my grandmother that they knew of someone who could help the family. My grandmother, desperate at the time, accepted any help she could, The someone who could help my grandmother was the jinn himself. 
I know this sounds strange, but it's widely believed by Pakistanis that jinn live among them. They can blend in or hide themselves as they please. There are also good and bad jinn. The story told to me was that this jinn, whose name I'm going to leave out, I'm not sure exactly why, but I feel like it might be best, came into their home and stayed with them for a while. My grandfather hated him. He didn't believe in or respect jinn and did not think he would help or really that there was anything wrong at their house. Anyway, the jinn looked and talked just like any other person. He ate, slept, and did everything any human person could do. He found the talismans that I mentioned earlier in this story and told my grandma who buried them there and what was written in them. My youngest uncle and my mom have a memory of him taking them into a room at their house and holding both their hands. He asked them to close their eyes, and when they opened them, they were at the beach. Another story was that he gave my uncle a special rupee, paper currency, and told him that he could buy whatever he wanted with it as long as he didn't feel bad about it. The rupee would end up back in his wallet each time. My uncle used this trick many times, and it worked. One day, he was buying food from a vegetable stand, and he felt bad for the man selling his vegetables in the heat and working all day. As soon as he paid the man and left, he never found that rupee again. Things got a little better for the family after the talismans were found, and I believe that the entities in the house were also dealt with, though not sure how. My grandfather and the jinn became dear friends, so they never saw each other again after he helped them and left. When departing, he told my grandmother that he would one day attend her funeral prayer, no matter where he was on earth, which was a weird thing to say to someone I know. My grandmother passed away in early 2018, and the funeral was held in Chicago. Many people attended the funeral prayer at the mosque. Many strangers who were at the mosque at that time prayed her funeral prayer, which is the norm. My cousins and I kept an eye out, but there was no way we could know who he was unless he wanted us to. I don't doubt my grandmother's story. It's just very crazy to think about. I'm grateful for the stranger who came into our family and saved us. Thank you for sharing that, Autumn. Uh, I think it's the first story we've had from Pakistan. Very cool. And I am grateful that you shared it as well. Yeah. And I was thinking about the idea of the jinn coming into the home and sort of helping set things right. It reminds me of the story we covered on episode uh, 70, The Curious Case of Bumblebuzz. Remember the uh, the shaman who came and helped that uh, yes. our listener out? Yes. I was just thinking shaman was the word that popped into my head just even before you said it. So yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And I know we asked for more jinn stories and they're slowly starting to come. And it's a really, really fascinating topic. I know that in some places, I've, I've been told this, I don't know if this is true, but I know yeah. some places in like Saudi Arabia and Dubai, they will burn incense, which the jinn are said not to like. Oh, wow. And kind it's of like just, um, sage. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. But it's it's just left burning in certain public places. Interesting. And again, I, I was told this by someone who went there. I don't know if it's true. Right. But, you know, obviously, as we've discussed, places that are sort of outside what we consider the West are seem to be a lot more spiritually in tune. Yeah. Uh, and, and able to kind of to talk about those things and, and, and generally acknowledge those things. So if anyone else out there has more stories from uh, from obviously Pakistan's not Saudi Arabia, those are very different places, but from <laughs> the place from those cultures, you know, from South Asia or from the Middle East, mm-hmm. which, you know, cultures which are known for having gin, we'd love to hear them because it's it's very much like those other folks. Um, you know, they're, they're said to have entire hierarchies and entire societies, really. They allegedly live and allegedly die. Yeah, you know, it's just on a on a different level than us. On a different at a different um, it's a word I'm looking for. Different time scale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Almost like like the elves from uh, Lord of the Rings. Yes, 
to us, they are never aging, but to them, we come and go in a blink. Right. So thank you again for that, Anam. Our last story of the night comes from Shane. Back in high school, I had too little parental supervision and too much time on my hands. Instead of drinking or driving around aimlessly like a lot of kids do, I built up a reputation as a pretty capable urban explorer. One Saturday night, a friend shot me a text message saying that her dad, a real estate developer, had bought an abandoned factory in town that he wanted to turn into condominiums. I lived in a rust belt city, so we had a few unused factories in the area, which mostly gathered dust and maybe a few spirits, as I came to learn. Anyway, she wanted to explore it, but he wouldn't let her in due to several of the floors being unstable. That's where I came in. She wanted me to break in so we could look around. Realizing full well how stupid it was now, I agreed to pick the lock and see what we could find. So one bright and sunny Saturday, the two of us drove to that part of town and parked at a gas station a few blocks away. We broke into a door that led to what would have been the offices when the factory was up and running. The factory had three levels and an attic. We explored the first one and marveled at all the junk left behind. There were so many boxes, a few manual lifts, and tools left lying where they'd likely been set down 40 years before. After poking around the first level, we went up to the second, but there was hardly anything there. The floor had also collapsed in places, so we didn't spend much time lingering and went up to the third level. This level was an open area the size of the entire factory. This room was completely empty, save for a piano at the very center. I know this sounds crazy, but I've attached some pictures to prove it. Of course, we thought this was super weird, a piano being in an empty factory. I went over to the piano and banged on the keys a bit, but aside from some atonal clanks, it was entirely non-functional. Besides being a weird relic which served who knows what function in the decades before, we didn't think much of it. At this time, we found stairs to the attic. They were incredibly steep and tucked away in a corner. They were so discreet we almost missed them. But up we went, and as soon as we did, the entire mood of the place shifted. In the lower three levels, there were big frosted windows along the entire floor, letting in a good deal of light. In the attic, the only light came from one window at the far end of the floor, more than half a kilometer away. The darkness was oppressive, but my friend, a lot braver than me, wanted to explore this level too. I protested because something just didn't feel right in the attic. It was like someone didn't want us there. Every bone in my body was telling me that, but I couldn't let it get out that the fearless urban explorer was scared of a dark attic, so I followed her into the darkness. As we went along, I felt eyes on me. Have you ever felt this before? being watched when you're alone. It's something I've felt more than a few times before and since this incident, but never like this. I knew where the eyes were coming from. I could feel it. Someone was watching me from the top of a rafter in the middle of the long room. They watched us approach, and then I could feel the eyes on my back after I passed. I was shaking. I was so unsettled. We got to the end of the room, and I could see my friend could feel something was off too. She asked if I wanted to leave, and her voice wavered. I agreed immediately. I don't think either of us wanted to acknowledge that something was off, because it would have made what we were feeling all the more real. We walked briskly back down the room, the invisible eyes following us all the while. Upon getting back to the top of the stairs, we'd come up, we saw a ladder going up to a hatch, what we figured must be the roof. At this point, I just felt like I needed to get out of this place, and if it was to the roof, well, so be it. I climbed up first and threw open the hatch, and as the sunlight poured in, I felt immediately better. We got outside and walked around the roof for about 15 minutes, trying to find any other way to get down besides going back into the attic. We couldn't find a safe way down the four stories, though, and so we were resigned to going back through the hatch into the darkness below. 
She went first, and I came after, loath to close the hatch and shut out the sun. As I climbed down the ladder, I reaffirmed that we were leaving. She agreed very quickly, and so I enveloped us in darkness again and climbed down the ladder. This is the part which still troubles me today, some five years later. No sooner did my foot touch the ground than we heard music, piano music, coming from the floor below us. I froze. It was one of those moments which you're too shocked to process anything, especially some creepy-ass music in a place you know full well it should not be. We listened for a few seconds and acknowledged that we both heard it. Then, I sprinted down the steps to the third floor, thinking this could be my one shot at actually seeing a ghost or a hobo with incredible piano repair skills. But as I came into view of the third level, the music stopped, and the piano sat in the middle of the floor, broken as it ever was. I wish there was any sort of closure I could provide, but try as I might in the last few years and in many retellings, I just can't figure it out. I'm a scientist and consider myself relatively skeptical. Almost everything I've encountered in my life has some sort of explanation, but this just doesn't. What a great story. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh my God. Shane also did provide photographs. And I think what we'll do is we'll put them up on the website. That's ghoststoryguys.com. We have a blog with show notes for every episode. So if you click the link for episode 85, I'll have those pictures in there. And the, the idea of something waiting in the dark really reminded me of a couple of years ago when I was in Edmonton and I was visiting a guy. And as soon as I walked into his house, I felt something watching me from the far corner Mm-hmm. of the room mm-hmm. and I thought I was making it up I thought I was just imagining it until he joked about having talked to a psychic who said he had a bad spirit hanging off him and he said that he had been playing pool in the basement with his buddies and one of his buddies leaned over to take a shot and something in the darkness pulled the pool cue No oh, yikes and I thought well that doesn't surprise me at all Having spent, you know, five minutes in your house now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe that. Well, and um, when he talked about running up the stairs to the piano to catch or what he hoped he would catch something there. Right. Um, I think I've shared this before about that church I worked at in Winnipeg. It was about two days before Christmas and the secretary and I were the only ones in the church. The church was very, very old, but the newer building was built in kind of the 60s, 70s. So we're in the newer part of the building and we heard organ music. And we looked at each other because Winnipeg in the winter is cold. So you need to turn the heat on probably three or four hours before anyone's going to go into the church, right? Um, We both knew no one was in there. We both knew the alarm was on. We heard someone playing the pipe organ in the church. She looked at me. I looked at her. We both started walking towards the big, heavy fire door between the church and the new building. We walked all the way up to it. The organ bench was literally just on the other side of the door to the right. You went through another door and you were there. We got up there. We touched the door. The organ music stops. Now, this is a very old organ that ran on air. And so even when the person stopped playing, even if you turned the organ off, there would be a good two or three minutes of hissing as the air left the system. Oh, we, okay. Right. We opened the door. Nothing. Nothing. It's like oh. it was never playing. It was ice cold. All the lights are out. The alarm is still engaged. We both know what we heard. We're walking back and she's like, oh, that was so weird. That was so weird. And then she suddenly stops and she goes, what day is it? And I said, it's the 23rd. And she goes, oh my God. Because the year before, the organist who'd been there for 40 years 
died at his kitchen table wrapping Christmas presents on, you want to guess, December 23rd. No. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, I think he came back. I think he came back and just had to play the organ one last time. It was the freakiest damn thing. But what the freakiest part for me was hearing the organ, knowing it was the organ, being with someone else who was hearing the organ, walking up that ramp towards the church door because, you know, the buildings are so old. They were different heights and putting our hand on the fire door and then silence. That was so weird. But we both heard it. We both heard it. Yeah, it was a wild church. Well, thank you again, everyone, for a, a, another awesome round of listener stories. Absolutely. Coming from all over the world, which we just love. And if you have a story you want to share, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the best way to do it. We'll always read it. We may not get it on the show, but we'll do our best to get it on the show. There's also the ghost line, but we'll we'll talk about that in a moment. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our patron shoutouts and listener mail. Welcome back. As always, thanks to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and every episode. Couldn't do it without you. And I believe Sarah will be announcing, uh, well, we'll be announcing for Sarah, the new book for the book club pretty soon. Oh, cool. Nice. Yes. So we'll have to see what that's going to be as we do have the Ghost Story Guys book club. So uh, make sure to head on over to Goodreads and search for that. First up, we have our patron shout outs. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Carrie Strong, Nick, Jen, Jeremiah Tim, Daughters of Delos, Amanda Jenks, Tegan Halliday, Jennifer Garamendi, Liesl Tarkini, Carolia Webb, FXY Peach, Mary. And this time around, we'd also like to thank two other people who donated via PayPal. Bless your and, hearts. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something you can do if you don't want to become a monthly patron. You can donate to us at paypal.me slash ghoststoryguys or just by sending it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And those people are Allison Barajo and Michael Hornell. Thank you so much, guys. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And if you've sent that to us in error, which seems possible, <laughs> uh, let us know and we'll reverse it. Or if you were trying to buy something, you know, I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. It seems so strange. If you want to become a patron, head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have tiers at the one, five, ten, twenty, and fifty dollar levels. And it gets you everything from exclusive stickers designed by Vancouver Island artist Wanda Fraser to access to our monthly live show, which usually features both me and Ian and now the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. And just a way for us to hang out with you guys for an hour or so, answer any questions you may have, and just generally shoot the breeze. You also get access to our monthly Cabin Fever show, which is a bonus episode every month where Ian and I talk about all the social stuff that doesn't fit into the show anymore. Food we've been eating, what we've been up to, just, uh, again, another opportunity to kind of hang out and hear what's going on in our lives. Things that we used to do in the main show and we just kind of had to trim out for running time purposes. You also get early access to Luke Lore, which is, of course, Luke's monthly folklore podcast. That's just a deep dive into the topic of his choosing. That's also available everywhere you stream your podcast now, but if you're a patron, you get it 30 days ahead of everyone else. You go a little higher up, you get art cards of my night photography, and of course, Ian's smash hit Christian country (laughs) album, 
aware of wonder. That just refuses to die. <laughs> it truly does. For more information, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys and check it out. And again, if you don't want to become a monthly patron, but you do want to donate to the show, help keep, help us keep the lights on, so to speak, you can do that via PayPal at either paypal.me slash ghost story guys or by sending it directly to ghost story guys at gmail.com. Next up, we have listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. Of course, we love hearing from you guys. Reminds us you're out there. Reminds us you're listening, that you enjoy what we're doing with your comments, your questions, your gentle criticisms. We appreciate it all. And this time around, we'd like to thank for reaching out the following. Lauren. Gina. Mark. Chris. Rebecca. Bonnie. Joe. Rhonda. Therese. Barry. Mare. Coriel. Alana. Ethan. Tyler. Zach. Samantha. Michelle. Darlene. Audrey. Jared. Seth. Sierra. Wendy. Christina. Jeff. Shane. Wanda. Natasha. And Irene. Thank you so much, guys, for reaching out with your, again, comments, your questions, your general criticisms. We love hearing your stories, hearing what's going on with you, how the show uh, affects you and, and what you've learned about yourself from the show means the world to us. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And if you want to reach us, best way to do it, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys, Twitter at twitter.com slash ghoststoryguys, and Instagram at instagram.com slash the ghoststoryguys. If you have a story to share, the best thing to do would be to send it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Please don't send it via social media as they do tend to get lost if they're sent via DM. And finally, another way you can send us stories, if you don't want to send it via email, you can call or text us at the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're going to call ghost line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two oh. Thank you to our listener, Amber Pease, for that jingle. And if you want to give us a call, again, that number is one 888 and that's a toll-free number. You can call and leave your story as one or a series of voicemails, or if you just have a message you want to leave for the show, you can do that there too. And if you don't feel like calling, you want to text us, or you got, a, again, a story or just a message you want to send, you can text us at 925-553-4789. That is an American number, just so you're aware. So if you're calling us or texting us, rather, from outside of the country, there may be an additional charge depending on your carrier. Again, that's 925-553-4789 if you want to text the ghost line. And we had a great message from Jennifer from Florida. She oh, yeah? Said, I, yes. She said, I love your stories, but most of all, I love the banter and heartiness between the two of you, Brennan and Ian. <laughs> and also, Brennan, you're very handsome, and Ian... No, is, she no. did not say anything like that. She really didn't. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> but thank, thank you for reaching out, Jennifer. We really love hearing that. Uh, just, again, means the world to us to know you guys are out there, like what we do, and uh, yeah. So, we hope you all get in touch, and we look forward to it. <laughs> if you want to pick up some Ghostery Guys merch, head on over to our website at ghostoryguys.com and follow the link to our Tee Public store. And we also have our Redbubble store at ghoststoryguys.redbubble.com. The only difference between the two is that uh, T Public costs a little more, but the merchandise is a little higher quality. And their, well, their back end is a lot easier for me to work with, but you don't care about that. 
So that's our two spaces. Again, ghoststoryguys.com. Follow the links to the store or at ghoststoryguys.redbubble.com. If you want to pick up signed copies of our books or art cards with my night photography or pins or anything like that, head on over to ghoststoryguys.bigcartel.com. And we are shipping books again. I know we said during the uh, first wave of Turducken that we would not be uh, sending things out for a while. We have lifted that. The post is still is now moving Yay. slower. Yeah, yeah, slower, yeah, but it's moving. But it's moving. So if you want to order a book, anything like that, that's the place to do it. And we will ship it out to you as soon as possible. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Every now and again, we have some folks do it. And it, it just means a ton to us because it helps boost our numbers in iTunes, which means more eyes on the show and uh, just a win for everyone. So please do that because the world is still on pause. There ain't much going on, but I was on an episode of real life ghost stories with Emma and Dan. It's a patron only episode, but it just dropped recently. So if you want to hear that, you do have to be part of their, their Patreon, but Dan and Emma have a great show. If you're not a patron already, I know they'll appreciate your support. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find more from him online at soundcloud.com slash Music. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by following the links at hexagram.bandcamp.com. That's hexagram with two X's, not three. All other music and sound effects on this show are provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for podsafe music and sound effects for your next project, Head on over to epidemicsound.com and check them out. I guess that's going to do it. Mm-hmm. All right. That was fast. Well, and thanks everybody for all your stories. Yes. Thank you for your stories, your support. Without you guys, there's no point in us doing this. No, there we really wouldn't be a show. No. So thank you from the bottom of our evil, terrible hearts. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. And until then, into the darkness we go. I have not recently sustained any head wounds. <laughs> not yet. The Diary of Anne Frankenstein. Oh, Jesus. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. You're a chicken nerd, which I think I'm is a, somehow worse. I'm a big chicken nerd. Just saw a new product today. I was at the dollar store because I kind of live there. And um, they had this candy pen. Okay. And you dip it into this sour stuff. And there's also gummies you can spear onto the pen. So it's like a fun dip, but like sour and miserable and i almost bought one just to see what it was like and then i'm like dude you're almost 50 like what are you doing it reminded me of my all my sound tests of course (laughs) some of which you are very lucky i have deleted right i murdered a man in philadelphia no one knows i think i've told you this i've been going through and and sort of deleting the old recording files did you come across some and go oh my god i'm not listening to anything i'm just deleting okay that's probably a good thing uh yes we'll do the story my food is almost here so you bastard i know i'll eat it in the microphone oh (laughs) no it's like the opposite of asmr yeah perfect just makes you sick yeah perfect that's what i want